Got it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the ride. Thanks for the hookup. Hey, everybody. Welcome to South Bay Community Church Online. I am uh, Greg, one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, we are in this series called The Hope of His Coming. You know, my kids love to play this game every time we go to the swimming pool. It kind of goes like this. Fishes in the ocean, fishes in the sea. We all jump in at one, two, three. And then my kids will jump into the pool. I'll catch them, I'll give them a quick dunk, and then they'll swim back to the ledge. And every time we do it, it always goes in order. So we start with Evan, and I'll sit there. Fishes in the ocean, fishes in the sea. We go through that whole thing, and then I go down the line. Then it's Karis' turn, my seven-year-old. And I go, fishes in the ocean, fishes in the sea. We all jump in at one, two, three. And she jumps in, and then she swims back. And then my youngest daughter, who doesn't know how to swim yet, she's still got her floaties on, Aranea, she'll jump in, and I'll catch her, and then I'll bring her back to the ledge. Well, one time we were at a pool, at a community pool. My kids were there, their cousins were there, and a bunch of other people and other families were there as well. And so we're playing this game, and I'm going down the line with my kids, and I start with Evan. He jumps in, and then I go to Karis, and she jumps in, and then it's Aranea's turn, but Aranea isn't there. She, she must have run off somewhere, maybe with the cousins. And as I'm in the swimming pool and I'm looking around for Aranea, I noticed that there was a family not too far away from me. And, and one of the girls was underwater and she was swimming and treading like this. And I, I saw there was a mom on a chair right in their line and, and she must have been watching her. So I didn't know if she was swimming on purpose or maybe perhaps she was struggling. And in that moment, in those three to four to five seconds, so many thoughts ran through my head. And I thought to myself, what if she's not swimming intentionally? What if she's struggling to try to get back above the water? And I thought the, the mom would do something, but she was wearing sunglasses, so I couldn't tell if she was looking here or somewhere else. And I'm thinking, what should I do? What should I do? And I thought of so many things that could go wrong, like I could pick up this girl that does, I don't even know, and she could, you know, she could actually had been trying to swim, and when I pick her up, she could start screaming because this random guy is picking her up in the pool, so what do I do? Well, in a split second, in an instant, my instinct came in, and I went, and I just snatched her up, and I picked her up out of the water, and it was my daughter, Aranea. And in that moment, I was shocked. Somehow she had slipped out of her floaties and had either jumped in or fallen in the water, and I had no idea. And I pick her up as my daughter, and she just hugs me. She doesn't cry, but she just hugs me. And then, after a few moments later, she just goes off and starts playing. And so I assume she wasn't under for very long because she didn't seem to be traumatized. But praise God that I saw her when I did. Now, if I knew that that was my daughter, if I knew that that was my family member, there would have been no hesitation in a heartbeat, in the, in the twinkling of an eye, I would have snatched her up to save her from distress. I share that with you because we are in a series, The Hope of His Coming, and today we're talking about the rapture. And maybe you know already that the word literally means to snatch up, to, to catch up or to carry away. And as we talked about last week, as Pastor Gary laid out the overview of the end times, we learned that we are in the period of the church age, and the rapture concludes the church age. 
And so today I want to talk about the rapture and I want to ask four questions that I believe will help us understand the rapture and teach us how to live in light of the rapture. Four questions I want to ask is what is the rapture? What needs to happen before the rapture? What could happen after the rapture? And what, hap- what needs to happen right now? So I want to ask you to join me in prayer. And let's ask the Lord to really speak to us and teach us. Would you guys join me? And so, Father God, we pray that you would help us right now to understand this very difficult doctrine of Scripture that you've given us. And yet, Lord, we know there's a lot of confusion and a lot of debate even among really good faithful Christians. And so, God, we just ask right now, Lord, that you would just open our eyes to which is true. Lord, I confess we all need you. I need you, God. And I pray that you would help us to know what you want us to know and that you would help us, therefore, to live how you want us to live. So, God, you be our teacher and help us, your church, to be your students. Teach us in a way that will change us forever. Help us to be the church that's ready and hopeful for your coming. Bless us all, every ear that's listening, every eye that's watching, speak to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. And so let's start off with the first question. If you're writing notes or you have a journal, maybe you have your computer open, write this first question down. What is the rapture? What is the rapture? Well, like I said, the rapture is the period that concludes the church age. Right now, we are living in the church age. It started 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came and indwelled all believers, all faith-filled believers. And when that happened, the church was birthed, and here we are still in that period, and this church period will end when the church, all those spirit-filled believers are raptured up, snatched up to meet Christ in the air. And Paul says we should encourage each other with the hope of his coming. Here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 through 18. Paul writes this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. He's saying this is the hope that we ought to keep comforting each other with and encouraging each other with. And so what happens, what he's saying is that when Christ appears in the clouds, all the dead who have believed in Christ, will be resurrected. They'll be glorified, given new bodies. They will meet him in the air first. And then we who are alive, who believe in Christ, will then also be glorified in the twinkling of an eye, and we will meet them and Christ in the air as well. And according to the pre-tribulation view of the rapture, which means that the rapture will happen pre or before the seven-year tribulation, the rapture and the second coming are two different events, two different events. And I want to help you understand the difference between these two because a lot of times we talk about the end times and Christ is coming again and Jesus is going to return. It's coming. We can feel it. But 
But when we talk about that, what are you talking about? Are you talking about the rapture or are you talking about the second coming? Because in many of our minds, it's all blurred. Somewhere in the future, we know it's going to happen, but we don't know exactly what it looks like. And I want to help you understand that when we talk about the rapture and second coming, and in this message, for the sake of this message, I'm going to refer to the final coming as the second coming, they are two events, one coming. Two events in which time passes between the two, but one coming. So let me spell out a few key differences. The, the rapture, the rapture occurs before the tribulation, right? We, we, we see in the scriptures in Revelation 3.10, it tells us, because you have kept my word, this is Jesus speaking to the church, you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. But then the second coming occurs after the tribulation, right? Because after the tribulation is laid out in the book of Revelation, when we get to chapter 19, verse 11, a vision is seen. He says, then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. So the rapture occurs before the tribulation. The second coming occurs at the end of the tribulation. Here's another way the two events are different. In the rapture, Christ appears in the air and removes the church from the earth. Right? We saw that in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we just read. In the second coming, Christ appears in the air with the church and returns to earth. Right? So once again... We see in Revelation chapter 19, after that vision is seen of Jesus on the white horse, in verse 14, it tells us this. It says, And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, and I believe this includes the church, were following him on white horses. So Christ appears in the air and removes the church from the earth in the rapture, and then Christ appears again in the air in the second coming and returns to the earth. With the church. So let me, let me try to help you visualize that. So imagine up here is heaven and down here is earth. And before the tribulation happens, Christ will appear in the air, in the clouds, and he will reach down and snatch up his daughters and his sons, his family, the church. They will be with him in heaven. And as the tribulation on earth unfolds over the course of seven years... At the end of the seven years of tribulation on earth, once again, the Bible says, then he will appear with his family, the church, in the clouds. And at that time, they will then descend from heaven down to earth where Christ will now establish his kingdom, defeat the Antichrist, and reign for a thousand years to come. And so there we see the evidence of Scripture. We have two events, one coming, two events and one coming. And so that's an overview of what the rapture will look like. What is the rapture? Let's go on to the second question. Question number two. What needs to happen before the rapture? What needs to happen before the rapture? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Nothing needs to happen between now and the rapture because the scripture doesn't mention anything that must take place 
before the appearance of Christ in the cloud. But, 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 but what about talks of wars and rumors of wars? Doesn't the Bible say that? And, and nation rising against nation and, and, and famines and earthquakes. Doesn't Jesus say these are the signs? Yeah, but listen, all those things already characterize the world we live in. Famines and earthquakes and wars, rumors of wars, those have all already been taking place way back since I was born. Even longer than that, way, way back to when Pastor Caleb was born. This stuff has always been going on. And yet, if you look at Matthew 24 carefully, where Jesus says this in the Olivet Discourse, what does he say about those things when they happen? He's actually telling us, don't be alarmed when they happen. Expect them to happen. And he says, these aren't the end times. It's only the beginning of birth pains. Those things should already have happened. So so we see in Matthew 24 that those things don't tell us of the rapture to come. In fact, all the signs given to us in the Bible, if you look through Matthew 24, which goes into it in detail... All the signs Jesus gives us in Matthew 24 and even in all scripture point to the second coming. Not to the rapture, but to the second coming. And so here's another way we could distinguish the rapture from the second coming. The second coming, things have to happen that we will see and experience or know of before the second coming happens. The the rapture, on the other hand, is signless. There are no signs that the scripture gives us. For example, we know that one day there will be a man, an antichrist, who will come and sign a peace treaty with Israel. And then after that, we know that that's going to inaugurate a seven-year tribulation. And we know at the end of the tribulation, a a big battle will break out, the battle of Armageddon that, that will include world powers coming together to fight. And when you see these things happen, there will be no mistake about it. You know the second coming, Jesus' return to earth, is at hand. But these are all things that take place in the tribulation. And they will make sure that Christ is coming in. But if the rapture takes place before the tribulation, what are the signs that, that he will appear to snatch up the church? And the answer is, Absolutely nothing, nothing more. And so between now and then, it could happen at any time. Dr. Jeremiah says the rapture itself is a signless event. It is imminent, meaning that it could happen at any time, at any moment. We can all dis. Don't worry, guys, you didn't miss the rapture. I'm still here, but I just want to show you how instantaneous it could be, how he could come literally at any moment, even in the middle of this message as I'm speaking and as you're listening. Here's what Paul says as he continues in 1 Thessalonians about the teaching of the rapture. He picks it up in chapter 5, and in verse 1 he says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. How does a thief in the night come? How does a thief come? Well, without announcing it, without any warning. He doesn't let you know he's coming. 
But, but, but what about coronavirus? And what about the talks of, uh, 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 of masks and, and, and microchips in my wrist and on my forehead? And what about the, these cashless societies that everybody's talking about? Well, if any of those, and I don't know if any of those are signs of his coming, but any legitimate sign, even if those are signs from God, they are signs of the second coming. Not signs of the rapture, but of the second coming. And if there are any signs that are being clarified for us or intensified, indicating the second coming is almost at hand, that just makes the rapture even nearer, at least by seven years. Theologian John Wolver, he, he puts it really well. It's kind of like this, you know, like when you go to the mall, right, and you start hearing Christmas music playing for the first time. And you notice the decorations have gone up and the lights are out. What does that tell you? That's right. Thanksgiving is almost here. When you first hear the Christmas music and see the decoration, that means Thanksgiving is approaching. Now, now the lights and the music and the decorations, they're all signs pointing to Christmas. But we also know that before Christmas comes, Thanksgiving comes. And not until Thanksgiving comes does Christmas follow. And so if the signs that we see in the world today are telling us that the time is near and the second coming is imminent, that makes the rapture that much nearer. And so in summary, what needs to happen between now and the rapture? Nothing. Nothing more. Which brings me to our next question, question number three. So what could happen after the rapture occurs? What could happen after the rapture? Well, let me help try to paint a picture for us. Let's go back to September 11th, 2001. How could any of us forget that day? That day when terrorist attacks rocked our nation and changed our lives forever. On on that day, the emotional impact was deep. The morale of our nation plunged. Racism increased. Mistrust deepened. Hate abounded. Paranoia abounded. The the way we travel changed. The economy changed. Wars happened. Nations went to battle. And that's what happened in our country when 3,000 Americans were taken away. Now imagine with me when in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, 240 million Americans who profess to be Christians are taken. Now I know that's a generous number because not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, are truly in the Lord and spirit filled. So let's just be conservative. Let's take a fraction of 240 million. Let's say 5 million. Say 5 million people in an instant are taken out of just America, not even the world. We're talking about just America. Imagine the physical calamity that follows. Cars, all of a sudden with Christian drivers missing from the driver's seat, will be flying off overpasses on the freeway, crashing because the Christian drivers are no longer there. Planes could be colliding. Because the Christian pilot is no longer in the cockpit, but is now in the clouds. 
Imagine the, the Christian spirit-filled surgeon who's performing surgery to save a life in an instant is no longer there to save that life. The physical calamity that will happen when Christians are taken from the earth. Imagine the looting that ensues because Christian businesses are left behind with no owner. Imagine the laws that are broken because good, spirit-filled government leaders are no longer in office. Imagine the crime that rises, skyrockets, because there are now no more godly moral cops on the force. It's going to be a disaster when the church is raptured and the world is left behind. And who's going to clean up this disaster? Who's going to clean up the, the chaos? I was reading in USA Today, USA Today says this, about 75% of the organizations that are part of the FEMA Alliance are faith-based. FEMA is the Federal Emergency Management Agency. They help take care of natural disasters. And the article goes on, quote, in a disaster, churches don't just hold bake sales to raise money or collect clothes to send to victims. Faith-based organizations are integral partners in state and federal disaster relief efforts. Here's a couple pictures of people from our church, you guys, who four or five trips went out when there was a disaster, a hurricane hit, there was devastation, floods, terrorized cities. You guys went out because you were compelled by Christ to bring relief. And so the churches who tend to be the ones, faith-based organizations who tend to be the ones to go and respond to national and natural disasters, who tend to be the ones who send millions, not just in aid, but in human resource, in relief work, will no longer be there to relieve the nation of the chaos that results because of the rapture, because they will have been raptured. Imagine the physical calamity. But not just that, consider the emotional toil. I just heard about a lady this past week connected to our church whose husband passed away. And she's been so devastated by that loss, just grieving so deeply that she can't even stay in her own home anymore. And so she has since moved in with others because it's too hard to bear with his loss, with, with her loss, with his passing. That breaks my heart. I think about the husband and father who will not give his life to Christ. Imagine the grief when his believing wife and his believing children are taken away in an instant. How will he live from that point on? I think about that dependent college student who right now wants to just explore the world, not walk with Jesus, but in an instant his, his parents, his believing parents are taken. Imagine the grief and the sorrow that will plague our land, the depression that will come upon us when millions of people, literally millions of people, are suffering the loss of moms, spouses, sons, daughters, grandchildren, nieces, confidants, fiancés, caretakers, neighbors. And with all this grief and sorrow, What's it going to be like when there are no spirit-filled pastors to offer comfort and prayer? When there are no more godly counselors giving support and guidance? When there are no more churches caring for the orphans and feeding the homeless? 
There will be great emotional toil. Then consider the economic crisis that results, right? When millions of Americans are no longer able to pay their mortgages because they're no longer around. Imagine all the millions of dollars that aren't paid in taxes to provide revenue for the government. Government agencies might be shutting down. Or, or, or there are no more Christian business owners to pay their employees who depend on that pay for the livelihood of their families. Or there are no more essential resources put out by, by Christian businesses to help our society thrive. Consider the economic crisis when bills, millions of bills go unpaid and businesses are forced to shut down because of the loss of revenue. I mean, we've already been seeing that with, with COVID-19, but businesses are shutting down because the revenue has been cut short. But not just the physical calamity, not just the emotional toll, not just the economic crisis, but I think most devastating of all that our, not just our nation, but our world will face is the spiritual impact. When all of a sudden the world is void, distinctly void of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not that the Holy Spirit won't be working anymore, but, but in, a, in a very real way, the Holy Spirit will not be here like he was. The Holy Spirit who dwells in believers, who changes our hearts, who transforms our minds, who sanctifies us from our sins, who turns us away from evil, who helps us crucify the flesh, who helps bear his fruit in us when the Holy Spirit is absent because the believers who embody the Spirit is absent. Can you imagine the moral and spiritual impact it will have on our world? Can you imagine a world that's significantly void of love, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? When all of this stuff is missing, what happens when you no longer see the fruit of the Spirit? When you see people living not in the Spirit, but in the flesh. And Galatians 5 tells us explicitly what it looks like when you don't have the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 19, it tells us, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Meaning the list goes on and on. There's many more things like these. And not that these things don't currently exist in our world, but at that time, that will be all the world will know. For the Spirit and His fruit produced in the believers will be removed from the earth. And this, if you've looked at this year so far, and if you've ever scratched your head and wondered, can it ever get worse than 2020? We can stop scratching your head because the answer is, it absolutely can. It absolutely can, and it will. And this is the hope that we have, church. This is the hope of his coming, that our Savior and our Lord will rapture us up. He will snatch us away from distress, and he will protect us from the tribulation. 2020 is not as bad as it gets, 
But 2020 has given us very clear perspective, hasn't it? Pun intended. 2020 has helped us to see what the world can be like, right? For example, that global pandemonium can happen in an instant, that a single invisible disease can bring the world to a halt, bring a world to its knees, that a senseless death can cause global uproar, global chaos, that people have it in them to be ruthlessly racist, to be filled with hatred, to be bigoted and murderous. That people have it in them to riot and to steal what's not theirs. That they have it in them to burn and to destroy communities. And it's shown that people are getting more and more divisive. The world is becoming more polarized. And 2020 is showing us that we're not getting any closer together in unity. And I believe what we see in the world right now is the stage being set for the rapture. And once the rapture happens, I believe the rapture will set the stage for the tribulation. Because I think about all the results of what will happen when spirit-filled believers are removed from the earth. Tribulation just makes sense. It just naturally follows. Because when you think about a vulnerable world in chaos, they will be yearning for a leader who can promise them peace. If he could promise them peace, especially if he claims to be Christ, people will go flocking to this man. And that's what the Bible says exactly, says will happen. The suffering world reeling from the economic crisis and the economic collapse will make people desperate for survival. Do anything for the bare necessities. Even if it means getting a mark on their wrist or on their forehead in order to buy stuff to survive, give it to me. Whatever it takes, I need to survive. And so the stage will be set for the great tribulation. Next week, we're going to learn about the Antichrist and how he's going to capitalize on the moment and he's going to see ways to take advantage of a desperate, godless world. So these are some things that could happen once the rapture happens. These things could take place after the rapture, which brings me to my final question. This is the last question I have for today, and it's a question that should bring out application. And the question is this, what must happen now? What must happen now? I want to give you two things, and this should challenge us to live in light of the rapture. Number one, please write this down somewhere. We must walk faithfully. We must walk faithfully. Right now, I want to speak to everybody watching and listening. From the bottom of my heart, I ask you, please take this moment to evaluate your life, your relationship with Jesus, and ask, are you walking faithfully with him? Are you walking faithfully with Jesus? Maybe not perfectly, because none of us do, but are you walking by faith? Do you trust in Jesus, not just as your Savior who saves you from your sin because you prayed a prayer to that, but also as your Lord? Meaning, is Jesus the king of your heart? Is he the master of your days? Is he the one who governs your thoughts and your words and your actions? Do you walk with him? I, I know right now there's a lot of you who would love for our church doors to be unlocked 
and the doors to open so that we can meet here in the church again. I, I, I get that. I'm with you. And as leadership, we're seeking the Lord and we're praying. And as soon as God says it is wise and it is good for the church, we'll open those doors. So we're with you on that. But I want you to pause and, and, and wonder for a moment with me. What if? What if it is God more so than the government who has closed our doors? What, what if? I, I told Pastor Gary uh, as we were talking about this and we were sharing our hearts, and I, I, I told him I, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know if I'd put my life on it, but I wouldn't be surprised if God closing the doors is actually part of his plan. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if Christ comes and raptures the church before our doors ever open again. Why do I say that? Because maybe this season right now when the doors are closed, maybe that's God's grace upon us. How, how could that be God's grace? Because perhaps it is possible that God is taking away the church building right now to show us that walking into a building once a week doesn't save you. That walking in a, into a church and attending service once a week doesn't make you a spirit-filled believer. And maybe this is God's grace allowing our faith to be revealed for what it is. Because for far too long, far too many people have had this false sense of salvation, this false sense of security, this false sense of spirituality based on the fact that they attend church and my family goes to church every week. And if I were to ask you six months ago, if, if Christ raptured the church now, would you go up? And some of you would think and think, well, I think so because we go to church. I was at the beach, El Porto, a local beach here. One time I was in the parking lot, I was getting suited up in my wetsuit, getting ready for a surf session, and I saw this guy next to me. He had just finished putting on his wetsuit, changing, and I could tell by the looks of his surfboard that he, he was a beginner. I could tell it was a beginner board, and so I, I'm watching him, and I see him go down to the sand. He puts his stuff down, and I watch him take out of his backpack a cell phone, and he props his board up, and he turns his back to the, to the ocean, and he starts taking selfies of himself. He's taking selfies. And then I watch him put his phone back in his backpack, grab his stuff, go back to the parking lot, change back into his normal clothes, and he drives off. What a poser. Like, I imagine this guy Instagramming to all his friends, hashtag surfs up, hashtag beach life. And I'm, I'm thinking, that's not a surfer. Like, how many of you guys know that going to the beach doesn't make you a surfer? Because I would ask the question, are you willing to, to go in? Are you willing to get wet? Are you willing to paddle out? Even when the, the water is strong and the waves are overwhelming, are you willing to go in? Because then that makes you a surfer. And I would say to you, how many of you guys know that going to church doesn't make you a Christian? And I would ask you, are you willing to go all in with Jesus are you willing to walk it out with him? Are you willing to follow him even when the road is rough, even when the waves are overwhelming, even when the valley is too dark? Are you willing to walk it out with Jesus? Because that's a spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ. And so, friends, I beg you that while our doors are locked, 
once again, leverage this lockdown and ask yourself, am I walking faithfully with Jesus? Do I walk with him? Do I base my salvation on faith by his grace and I walk with him daily? Or have I based it on superficial things like walking into a church building? Jesus said to his disciples, Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him go to church every Sunday morning. No, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. How often? Daily. Let him follow me. Because he acknowledged to his disciples in Matthew chapter 7, 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone will be raptured. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, but the one who does the will of the Father will be raptured and brought into the kingdom of heaven. Listen, friends, what is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is to walk with the Son. The will of the Father is to walk with the Son faithfully. So that's one thing that must happen right now. We have to walk faithfully. Here's the second thing. Write this down somewhere. We must witness powerfully. We must witness powerfully. And disciples are like a lot of us these days. We're trying to figure out and we're eager to know the date on when he's going to rapture us or when he's going to come again. I mean, even before Jesus ascended back into heaven after he resurrected, they were already asking him. Acts chapter 1 verse 6 says, so when Jesus had, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And so what's Jesus saying? He says, listen, disciples, don't be so caught up. No pun intended, but don't be so caught up in, in times and seasons. But be focused on something else. What is that something else? Well, he goes on in the next verse, verse 8. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, focus on witnessing, tell my story, make my glory known, when the power of the Spirit comes upon you. So what must be happening now? You must not only be walking faithfully, disciples, but you should be witnessing powerfully. Why do I say powerfully? I say that because I get it. The idea of sharing the gospel or sharing your faith with a family member or a coworker or a friend or a neighbor is scary for a lot of us. It's intimidating. I get it. We feel scared. We feel insecure. We feel self-conscious. What if we get rejected? And so when opportunities come our way to share the gospel, many of us will turn it down. Many of us will walk away. I get that. But remember what Jesus told us. He says, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and the Spirit has come upon us. He has filled us. And so we have power to witness. And so don't witness independently. 
depending on your own strength, your own knowledge, your own understanding, but witness powerfully, depending on the power and the wisdom and the words of the Spirit. Witness in His power. Because honestly, I, I feel a lot of you. Honestly, I, I find it a lot easier for me to preach the gospel here on a stage to 1,500 people than, than it is for me to share the gospel with one person at a dinner table. I don't know why it's so much easier up here than at a dinner table. Maybe because when I'm with someone one-on-one, I could get rejected to my face. Maybe I could see the stubbornness in their heart or the hardness in their eyes. And I don't want to go there, and so I get it. Well, about a month ago, I was at a dinner table, and Monica's cousin, my wife's cousin, Stephen, was there, and we were just talking, and then all of a sudden, he got into a discussion about faith. And he had been sharing how he had been on this journey to find a faith to follow, and he wanted one that was going to help him to be a moral person. And he told us at that dinner table that he landed on Buddhism. And in that moment, I had an opportunity. And like many of you guys, I got nervous. And truth be told, in that moment, I began to pray. Father God, give me wisdom. Give me the words. Help me to speak. Give me courage. And in that moment, I began to share with Stephen how Christianity is a relationship with God and not a religion based on morality how our morality comes out of our relationship with God. And I was able to walk him through the gospel and how Christianity is so much different from any other religion in this world because it's not based on works. And, and we went back and forth and he listened and he received it and we talked back and forth, back and forth. And at the end of that conversation, Monica's cousin Stephen remained a Buddhist. He didn't receive Christ. He remained a Buddhist. And I share that with you because that's okay. It's okay because as much as I trust in the power of the Spirit to give me the words and the wisdom, I also trust in the power of the Spirit to change a heart and save a soul. And so I will do my part and I will witness and I will let the Holy Spirit do His part to work through me and in the person I'm witnessing to. It's okay to be rejected. We will be rejected at times. We pray otherwise, but that's up to the Spirit of God. And so I want to encourage and challenge you in this time, something that must happen is we must be witnessing powerfully. And don't let rejection stop you. Don't let rejection stop you because a rejection at the dinner table doesn't compare to that person's rejection at the rapture. Doesn't even come close. And that person deserves an opportunity to have the hope of his coming. The hope of his coming that you have, that gives you peace through this turmoil. That person needs a hope too. And so as we walk faithfully, will we witness powerfully? Will we witness powerfully in the power of the Spirit who lives in us? I want to close. You know, right after Jesus told them that the power of the Spirit will come upon them to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. He literally then ascended into heaven. Like, he rose in the air and a cloud took him up into heaven. And these disciples, you have to imagine, are just standing there, staring and speechless. Our master just 
disappear. And then the angels come to them. And in Acts, the story continues. In verse 11, the angels say to the men, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The same way you saw him go into heaven, in the air and on the clouds, is the same way he will come again, in the air and on the clouds. And when he does, church, will we be found ready? Will we be walking faithfully? Will we have been witnessing powerfully? I pray we will. And I pray that many people along with us will be snatched up and raptured when he comes again. Would you guys bow your heads with me? I want to pray and I want to acknowledge that there may be some people right now listening who just stumbled across this video or who may not have the security of knowing that they're saved and on that day they too will be raptured. And so I want to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe that God raised him from the dead, acknowledging that he died for you, you will be saved. And so right here, right now, in this moment, in five minutes after this message, we could be raptured up. I want you to know with absolute certainty that you will be among the church in the clouds. Will you believe with all your heart and trust Jesus, not just as your Savior who forgives you of your sins and saves you from it, but as your Lord, the master of your life, the one who governs every day, every action, every word, because you walk with him. If you want to make that commitment right now in this moment, then pray this with me. And pray as if you're talking to the Lord sincerely. Father God, thank you so much for letting me hear your word. It is no accident. Right now, I want to commit my life to you. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. Save me from my sins. Forgive me for everything I've done. And Lord, I ask that you would be my Lord. Come and be the king of my heart. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Help me to daily pick up my cross and follow you. I pray that now to the time you appear in the clouds that you would help me in the power of your Holy Spirit to trust you, to walk with you, and to live for you. Continue to help me learn and understand and in this, in this, at the same time help me to make you known so that many others will understand. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.